Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Alan Potcotter, and you're listening to Call Talk for February 26, 2020. Today's topic is living wage versus market wage, pros, cons, whys, and hows for contact center managers. If you're listening live, we invite you to be part of the show and ask questions. Here's how you do it. Email me at calltalk at benchmarkportal.com. I want to remind everyone that all of our shows are archived and available to listen to any time of the day at benchmarkportal.com. And now with that, I would like to introduce the host of the show, Bruce Belfiore. Thank you, Alan, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. Today, we again welcome Mike Dershowitz to the show. And Mike is a thinker as well as a doer and has put a lot of thought into how employers and managers can create triple win situations where frontline agents and supervisors are empowered and are provided with the skills and the pay to develop themselves and contribute to themselves and those connected with them, their own communities, et cetera, and where customers interact with employees who are motivated and energized and where business results are very positive as proven by the metrics. So welcome back to the show, Mike. Thanks, Bruce. It is great to be here. Okay, good. Well, our our listeners may recall that in the previous episode, back in July 2018, you talked about fair trade outsourcing, sustainable, ethical, and profitable. And we discussed your novel approach to managing call centers for top results while creating social and economic impact. And our focus during that episode was on your outsourced contact operations in the Philippines. Uh, Do you want to just sort of Mm -hmm. recall what we chatted about there, and then we'll dig into today's uh, topic? Yeah, absolutely. So we've developed this concept of fair trade outsourcing, and we've recently, you know, changed the name of the company to that as well to to try and create this win-win-win for agents, clients, uh, and operators or and and call center managers. And the, the the overall concept was very much influenced by the fair trade movement. Um, the fair trade movement is one which really looks to say, hey, consumers need to care about what the lives of their producers are like, right? So if you're buying chocolate or if you're buying apparel, you know, what's the condition of the person making that in that supply chain? And as an ethical and moral human being, you know, how are you consuming those goods or making sure that the goods that you consume are fair trade to know that no one has really been harmed in making the goods that you consume? Um, I was very much inspired by this in 2017 after experiences I had operating, you know, a center in the Philippines. And since really that, since that program, the, the concept itself has advanced, you know, quite rapidly, but also most importantly, we've really started to get a lot of really, really good data uh, about how to, to more effectively and, and also really to kind of create some rules about what it means to be a fair trade operator in the contact center world. Um, mm-hmm. And that all starts with wages, uh, which is why, you know, Bruce, that when you reached out and said, Hey, you know, would you be interested in being back on? And, and if so, what would you talk about? I'm like, Oh, let's talk about wages because whenever I introduce someone to the concept of fair trade outsourcing, it's always about 
you know, let's start with wages. Let's understand why wages are important. Let's understand how your, your current wage policy may be actually harming and not helping agents, uh, et cetera. And so I'm very happy to be back to, to really get into the nitty gritty of that and, and to help managers understand how they can, they can go from A, which is where they are now, to B. And that is, mm-hmm. is really focusing on the agent journey and, and how that's going to positively impact your center. Okay, very good. And uh, the idea that uh, sort of the fair trade concept has moved from goods, uh, particularly things like coffee and cocoa, et cetera, to uh, uh, services like call centers is really interesting, very interesting. I remember talking uh, to a fellow who was with one of the uh, agencies that goes down and actually does the certification for fair trade with coffee in Central America and sort of talking through the, the, the practical elements of all that. So it's really, really interesting. So we're uh, really delighted to have you back on. And, and today we're, we're really turning our attention to that living wage versus market wave, wage, uh, pros, cons, whys, and hows for the contact center managers. And, and all about the market and corporate forces, because we've got to be practical, right? We, mm-hmm. Many of the people on the phone uh, some are entrepreneurs and can do it themselves. Others are living within corporate, uh, you know, constraints, but they, they need to understand so that they can then advocate. Uh, you know, these things that push us to offer compensation based on market conditions and, and also understand the human and political elements that can uh, push towards offering uh, the living wage compensation. Um, mm-hmm. and, and really, this will, you know, we're asking you to draw on your experiences managing centers in urban America and offshore sites in particular. Uh, and we're looking forward to hearing your opinion uh, with regard to the $15 uh, minimum wage. Uh, so anyway, let, let's start with the, the big picture. Give us uh, sort of an overview of your thoughts on the topic. Uh, then we can drill down on, on these management issues and approaches. Yeah, absolutely. So the overarching concept or the way I think that that's best for people to visualize um, how to get this to work right for their individual situations is, you know, I want you to think about really just that, that old, you know, X and Y axis graph, right? That old X and Y axis graph. And if you think about when you plot a point on an X and Y axis graph, um, you know, that you're going to, the, the goal of wages in your contact center is to land at the right place for the type of work as well as the type of company that you are. Okay. That's really it. So let's say that X is work and the Y axis is the type of company. Um, And, you know, you want to, your goal is to kind of land somewhere in the field where you're going to be able to optimize for what, for what your company is trying to accomplish. Okay. That's the overall concept. Now let's talk about a couple definitions, right? So first off, um, what is a market wage? A market wage is exactly what it says, which is as a contact center manager, when you post, you know, when you post a job opening at a certain rate per hour, let's say, because obviously most employees in the industry are hired per hour, um, at a certain per hour, you know, does the market respond? Does your local labor market respond? And it's very easy to determine that. Do people come in the door and apply or do they not? Right. Um, yep. And so that's the market wage. And it's different all over the place, right? Um, so, so that's the market wage. The, the living wage is something different. The living wage is based off of this concept of consumption. So when economists look at wages, they always look at the labor market, and then they look at consumption. And they say, what level of consumption is reasonable 
to sustain for a given geographic area and mm -hmm. for a given family composition. So if I'm a single person, right, and I just have me to worry about, I have no children, um, I'm not married, I'm not, you know, I'm not living with someone, that's a much different household than if I'm married with three kids and so on and so forth. Obviously, and most of us on the phone probably have kids. I know I do. Kids are expensive. <laughs> kids are yep. really expensive. Um, yep. And so, and so, you know, uh, really that living wage tries to take into an account what can, you know, what a minimum sustainable level of consumption is that affords someone what's called a dignified or sustainable life. Okay. Um, and one that is, you know, free from as much danger as, as possible. So the, you know, and the two methods are extremely different, are not, at times, they're not super far apart. You know, they're really not. Um, but the concepts are very different. And again, I'll repeat. So a market wage is, I post a job for X dollars an hour, and it either yep. works or it doesn't work. And when that person is hired at that, they can either do the job or not. The living wage says, let me look at consumption. What is sort of the minimum reasonable amount of consumption for someone to live a safe, dignified life, and what does that cost? And that's the big difference. And and uh, obviously there is a huge difference. I have kids as well. Uh, wrote the last check for uh, tuition last year for college. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. <laughs> exactly. You're looking forward to all that. Uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. Like I, I don't know if I can see that end line at this point, Bruce. I don't know, man. My <laughs> oldest is nine, but go on, go on. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people on the phone can, you know, understand that every stage is wonderful in in the development of these kids, uh, but everyone has its challenges and certainly its exp expenses. So yeah. uh, the the idea that uh, you know the idea of a a living wage for somebody who's single can be very different for somebody who's uh, married, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you aim toward? Uh, and does that depend, for instance, on whether you're in a college town and you're basically uh, bringing through a lot of people who are college students working part-time as opposed to perhaps in a, a semi-rural area where people need to work full-time and that that might even impact your decision on where to site a, a call center. Uh, what are your yeah. thoughts on, on that? In other words, uh, there's a, a big range. There may be actually a smaller range between living wage and market wage uh, than there is between living wage for somebody who's single and living wage for somebody who's married with children. That's right. So, And there is. The, in general, the living wage uh, for a single person uh, is – or excuse me, the living wage for a person married with two children – uh, where the other spouse doesn't work is typically twice, you know, the living wage for a single person, right? Roughly yeah. about twice. In a two-income household with, you know, two children, the living wage uh, for that person earning one of those two incomes is is actually a, about 60% more than the single person living wage. Um, the challenge is that nationally, in general, call center wages, starting call center wages are below living wages, okay? Or to continue to use the, the, the same vernacular, starting call center market wages are typically below the living wage, right? That's, we see that in our research, we see that in our centers. Um, not always, not always, um, but certainly uh, that, that is the trend, okay? 
And so that's obviously hey, something I, that we – yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask uh, two questions there. What is the research that that's based on? Because I think a lot of people would probably do a little bit of mm -hmm. uh, pushback there. So that's number one. And then number two, I'll just add in there, um, given the tightening of the labor market, is that starting to change uh, because of the fact that we're at a full employment level? So one and then two. Okay, so you want to take me basically to being my economist side. So fair warning, you know, I probably am a, I'm like a, you know, a suppressed uh, economics professor over here sometimes. So um, <laughs> to answer your first question, um, there has been no official research within the call center industry to state what is the delta between, uh, you know, living wages and market wages within the call center industry. Okay. Um, the research that I... I'm pointing to is a combination of work that we've looked at between uh, the MIT living wage calculator, um, which you can just find in Google search. Great, great tool. Um, and then in addition to that, the, the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the data that they make available for the job category, customer service, um, you know, customer service uh, within the varying economies around the country. Okay. So when you compare those two, um, you know, in general, you're going to find that it's, you know, that, that the, the market wages in the call center industry are below. Um, that's, that's how we do it. And then I have sort of anecdotal evidence of speaking to whether it's companies that I've looked at acquiring. And so I know what their wage structure is or, um, you know, friends I have in the industry, uh, you know, so I kind of, I always ask, what do you pay your agents? Um, you know, because I want that anecdotal data. Maybe, maybe that's something that we should do, Bruce, you know, together is, is we should, we should commission a study on that. Or, or, or work on a study, you know, so that the, the industry has, has some good work to do. I think that's actually a good idea. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that's the answer to, to your first question. Um, you know, the answer to your second question, um, I think, really has to do with, you know, when it comes to what should you be paying? Well, that's where the balancing act really comes up, right? That's, that's, we go back to that graph that I talked about, you know, X and Y. And the reality is, is that, you know, in our industry, especially in an outsourced context. So I think contact center managers that are, that are in, internal versus contact center managers that are within an outsourced business that are in contracts, they're also going to have a different experience. So let me address folks like me first. Those are service providers providing call center services within a service contract. So first off, those folks are going to have it the toughest, right? Because they have to pay for facilities, they have to pay for margin, um, their own margin, their own SG&A, and then what happens is, is that then they got to go out and try and be competitive in the market. And of course, there's always downward pressure on price, it, you know, it, in order to capture business. Those folks are going to have the toughest, and so their position on the graph is going to be different, and their position vis-a-vis -vis the living wage is going to be different than than somebody who's insourced. You know, somebody who's insourced doesn't have to pay a supplier's margin. So, you know, the same cost that they may pay on a per hourly wage to an outsourcer, they may be able to apply that same per dollar rate to an internal person. And instantly that person is going to be earning, you know, $4 an hour above the living wage or something like that. Um, so, so in my experience, that's typically, you know, the decision of a, per, of a manager's individual context and, and how they figure that out. And that really is the meat of, of the discussion, right? Because at the end of the day, we're still in business. And even in our own centers, you know, even in our own centers, um, domestically, our goal, we, we start somebody at the living wage, 
you know, where they are. So in Philadelphia, it's twelve sixty nine an hour. That's for single person, single person living wage, 2019 numbers from the MIT calculator. Arizona, where we're, you know, we're currently looking at putting a center in Arizona, 1277. Okay. So a little bit higher. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we sort of look at it and, and make a determination that way. The big difference in a fair trade model is that you commit to be a living wage employer. You know, you, you will not go below that living wage. Okay. Now, the, the challenge for any contact center manager, and this kind of goes to I a lot called the agent journey. The challenge as a contact center manager is that somebody starting in that seat, that's starting. What are you doing to get that person into either higher level work where they may be earning three or four dollars above the living wage, but still being an individual contributor, still producing mm-hmm. for a client, or how do you get them to be a supervisor or a manager? Because once you kind of get them and find pathways to get people into higher level work, then you could start paying them at the living wage if they have kids, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And we keep coming back to this concept of kids because it makes a huge difference. Um, It makes a huge difference in, you know, in what the living wage is. So Mm -hmm. that to me is, is really how we start our evaluation. Um, That's, that's kind of the, the how uh, we decide what wages you know, to pay. And then I think to answer your question of, you know, do, you know, do contact center managers, you know, do they care about single person versus family? And the answer is your goal should be to go from single person to family. And that's what we've set our goal to be. How many people can you get from single person to family? How are you changing so that, you know, you've got the room to, to make that move. And, and that's where I'd like to see us head. So. No, that's, that, that's great. Uh, so, so, you know, I, what I'm taking away from this is that uh, we're still in somewhat speculative area in terms of all of this because it's new, because you're kind of uh, uh, spearheading this, and uh, this is a new road to hope, but it's a fascinating one, and one that should be, in fact, uh, studied more, and I'd be happy to talk to you more about that. So it's still somewhat speculative, but there's uh, some uh, stakes that are being put in the sand that can be actually utilized for analytical purposes to, to do it for those people who, who want to, to do what you're talking about. And the other thing is that there's kind of a layered evaluation uh, on the situation. You've got to understand, okay, are you a, uh, a sort of a, if you're an outsourcer, you're in one situation. Basically, the career path is inside of the outsourcing operation, and it's a call center outsourcing operation. Uh, so there's a possibility to move people from uh, being a frontline agent to a higher paid supervisor, uh, but that's somewhat limited. There, there's some uh, situations where it's an in-house center, and there uh, there's numerous companies, a lot of companies, probably people, excuse me, on this call, who use the uh, the, the call center position as an entry level to then uh, spread people out uh, among, Mm -hmm. you know, throughout other departments in the company and where they may be able to take that step up and uh, increase their wage levels. And so, you know, that's where they could be moving from, you know, a single uh, person level of of compensation to a family level of compensation. Insurance Mm -hmm. companies being very typical of this, you know, where you go from, being a contact center agent to going across the way to, uh, you know, helping out with adjustments and, and all kinds of mm-hmm. other things. So really fascinating uh, sort of analytical construct that you put together here. 
Um, what, what are your other thoughts there while I uh, get my thoughts together for some more questions here? <laughs> so, you know, I want to go back to, I want to go back to, to, I think the how is incredibly important and, and, and I'm hoping we get some questions so we can actually kind of mull on specific examples, but um, you know, I want to talk about the how in, in the case of, of a captive, you know, of a captive company, right? So, so what happens if the finance department is coming at you and saying, you know, we need wage savings, we need wage savings, you know, within, within the call center, you know, and how do you, and, and how do you respond to that? And in that particular case, I want, I want listeners to think about sort of this, the straw that breaks the camel's back, right? So your site may be cited, you know, somewhere, right? So let's say, you know, your site is cited in San Francisco. Um, you know, I don't know of any call centers in downtown San Francisco anymore, but, you know, let's say that you've got a call center in downtown San Francisco. And I know. Um, okay, good. Well, I'd love to talk to them because I, you know, I think they have a lot of favorable economics to take advantage of by moving that site. Um, so, you know, in that case, you know, really what happens is, is that once wages, once your finance department tells you to drop wages below a certain level, you know, and it's not necessarily the living wage, but, you know, you want to think of it as a living wage. Once that happens, what happens is that, you know, that wage level within your call center actually becomes a material risk, you know, to the contact center. And then depending on the contact center's function within the business to the business, because what happens is, is that dropping a wage below that threshold to where the life of the agent becomes so economically insecure that they can no longer function in their job, um, you're really sowing the seeds of significant problems within your operations. You really are. Does that make sense, Bruce? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I've seen that in uh, certain employment basins where people, um, where new, th this happens, for instance, on a very practical level, where new uh, call centers will come into an area and all of a sudden somebody who was a traditional employer who's not offering the same wages uh, is basically priced out and uh, expenses that the, the development of the community itself means that real estate prices are going up, everything's going up. So actually the cost of living goes up. And uh, so the phenomenon that you're talking about uh, does happen. So the uh, agents are both have their lives become less secure and they have the uh, enticement of uh, higher wages from the, the new entrant. So absolutely. No, it's a very, very practical yeah. thing. Yeah. And, and the great well, part about, the great part about that phenomenon I, I want to add because I think it's important is that the signal through the noise as to when that's happening and really starting to be a problem is your attrition rate. You know, if you make a wage change or finance requests a wage change or other types of changes to save costs and your attrition rate goes up, well, then, then you have your answer, right? Right. And you yes. know that there's yes. a link, you know, between how you're endangering that person, how you're economically endangering that person's life. Um, and your own operation, because you're just going to leave in search of something that's actually sustainable and hopefully gets them on a path to a sustainable life. So, Right. Uh, great, great points. And we're going to go over to Alan in a second because he's got a couple of questions there, I think. But uh, we were in a, uh, uh, advising a, a company, a very large uh, Asian company with a call center in the United States, and they found themselves in a situation where they were offering less than the prevailing rate, but they needed to find some way to, you know, satisfy everybody inside the company. We actually came up with a way that uh, people could uh, earn themselves bonuses 
by becoming by upskilling themselves and becoming more efficient with their calls, while at the same time keeping up high quality and customer satisfaction, which they had the technology to measure on a real time, uh, near real time basis. And so it was somewhat uh, sophisticated in terms of uh, the um, uh, sort of dashboard we put together for them, but it worked. So there are ways that you can do that and actually uh, allow somebody to earn themselves uh, the living wage that they need and still stay there and be happy about it. So anyway, really, really Fascinating area, Mike. We're going to have to do some more talking about this afterwards. But, uh, Alan, I, I know you've got a couple of questions here, so why don't we turn things over to you? Yep, we got the first one here from James. And the question is, I have just been given responsibilities for our operations in North America, Ireland, and India. Comp is a problem in all of these locations. How do I harmonize my approach to wages among these areas? Okay, first of all, congratulations to you, James, for getting that promotion. That's a, that's a big responsibility. And uh, o over to, uh, to Mike now to, to reply. I go back to those two. I go back to the, the subject of this, um, you know, of this episode, as well as, uh, as to that core evaluation. James, you've got to evaluate all three markets separately according to the living wage and the market wage. Um, and understand where your wages are in relationship to the two. Um, a couple things to keep in mind. Number one, do not rely, for your North American operations, do not rely on national statistics. Um, the American economy is diverse. It is vast. Um, it's, you know, it's so different regionally that, you know, you cannot, you know, you cannot rely on national statistics. Frankly, you can't do that in Canada either, right? So that's cautionary tale number one. Cautionary tale number two is for India. So for India, I want you, James, to look up um, the Global Living Wage Coalition. Um, they've done amazing work um, based off of the work of two economists, two married economists, uh, whose first name skipped me, but their last name is Anchor, uh, A-N-K-E-R. It's called the Anchor Methodology. And the Anchors developed a, a methodology for evaluating the living wage uh, globally. And so even within India, you know, if your call center is in, in Mumbai versus a second, third, or even fourth tier city, um, you know, you're going to have significant differences. So the, the most important thing you got to do, James, you got to get to that, you got to get to that local market data. You got to get to the local market data in all three of those economies. Um, and you really got to get to the answer. Once you do that, you know, cause you could set a policy like we've done that says we're going to pay the living wage. That's a global policy that we've done, James. The living wage, you know, we know what the living wage is in Ghana. We know what the living wage is in the two cities in the Philippines in which we operate. We know what the living wage is in Philadelphia and Arizona. You know, we're looking at Mexico. We know what the living wage is in these parts of Mexico. So, you know, you, you, it, the living wage is, is a harmonious. You know, it really is a harmonious policy in whatever economy you drop it into as long as you go and you get the data. Okay, that's great. Yeah, no, this is obviously uh, the uh, challenge of doing all this is uh, puts an added uh, burden on uh, the management, but it can also solve management problems. Uh, so in a sense, there's the uh, dual side, dual sword side, if I can put it that way. On the one hand, you make a uh, an ethical commitment 
but you're also solving a practical business problem because you don't want that high turnover. You don't want the attrition that Mike was talking about. So those two th- actually, those two things come together. Um, yeah, and hopefully it's not, a, it, it's not a hopefully it's not a leap of faith for you know for James. I mean it it's not a leap of faith for him because ultimately, you know, and this is the benefit is that it's completely defensible. Um, you know, when you root your when you root your compensation policy in the economic reality of the economies in which you do business, um, you know, finance is going to really have trouble pushing back. Um, you know, they're really going to have trouble pushing back. And that's why, you know, in the outsource industry, by the way, that's why margins in the outsource industry are typically below 10%, right? And when you see, I was just looking at a resume for an operations executive the other day, and he was kind of on his resume, he was listing his accomplishments and he was listing his accomplishments as, you know, oh, I got, you know, another 2% of profitability out of this center. And I got another 4% profitability out of that center. And I'm like, that's not a turnaround. You know, that, I mean, I'm sure he's a competent person. That's not a turnaround. That's not a, um, that, that's not something where you've really stabilized and delivered real value, you know, to your business. You've done the best within what you were handed, but you've got to, you've got to peel off that next layer of the onion. You know, what, what is really the thing that can do the best, um, you know, for me and for my company. And at the end of the day, and Bruce, this is what I love about the living wage. At the end of the day, the living wage is about people's lives mm-hmm. because yeah. it's consumption based. It's about how people live their lives and what is reasonable and what is not, you know, what is moral ethical and what is not. And I'll tell you, mm-hmm. Bruce, you know, to take a little bit of a, of a tangent here, it wasn't until I started visiting, which I've been doing for about three years now. I, I started visiting my agent's homes in the Philippines and, and now in Ghana until I really got enough of my own kind of small sample set of data to understand what a middle-class, you know, household looks like, what really, you know, a lower income household looks like, what, uh, you know, a, a, an abject poverty household looks like and what a, and what a high income household looks like. Um, mm-hmm. the, the beauty of the, of the living wage is that it, of the human issue, really the, mm-hmm. the aspect, the human aspect of our business as a contact center manager, you know, your job is to get performance from humans, from people. Um, mm-hmm. And so how do you expect to do that if you don't understand their lives, if you don't understand how right. they're living their lives? And that's why right. I'm such a large proponent of, of the living wage. And I think, mm-hmm. it, I think James has got a lot more opportunity since he just took over, um, mm-hmm. you know, to make a real difference in his, I'm sure, hundreds or thousands of people's lives, you know, than, mm-hmm. than he may know. And so, James, thank you very much for the question. And please, you know, feel free to reach out to me uh, directly. I, I'd be happy, be happy to, you know, help in any way I can. Well said. Well said. No, and it, obviously, what are we here for, right? We're here to make a difference in people's lives and uh, doing it through our work and through uh, the relationships uh, that we, you know, form with the people we work with is, is so important. Uh, I think we've got time for one more question. So, Alan, do you have one there? Yes, I have one here from... It looks like Bryant, he's asking, we are in a city that wants a minimum wage over $15. We can't pay that much. I feel powerless. Any advice? Move your center. Recite your center. The local economics are just going to squeeze your business. Um, You unfortunately have to make that type of radical change in order to 
capture economics that are actually sustainable for your business um, and and for what you're trying to accomplish. That's unfortunately the only answer. You know, economics is 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 like math. You know, two plus two um, always equals four unless you're in some sort of alternate alternate dimension or something. But um, uh, you know, I think uh, you know, I think the other the other thing not to be flipped to consider is simply, and as an outsourcer. Um, this is a big part of what I, what I consider of what I do, you know, we, we get asked to give prices, you know, all the time, like, you know, we'll offer X and somebody will come in and they're like, no, we want X minus, you know, two or whatever, you know, part of, of what fair trade is, is that it has to be sustainable. It's more damaging for an, you know, it's actually better for the people in that instance, you know, it's really better to kind of, you know, send the people that are currently in that center that's got an above $15 an hour minimum wage. Um, it's a, better to send them back out to the labor market to find sustainable work in their local economy with the skills they've accumulated at your business than it is to try and lower their wages, you know, and keep that center operating within that local economy. That's, that's just the economic facts, you know. So in that case, you know, you're almost doing more damage than good you know, by trying to keep wages below the living wage, you gotta, you gotta move that center because it'll be sustainable, you know, for the people that are there, as opposed to the risk that you're running right now, which is that it's unsustainable. And we face it in our own business all the time. We will not take a contract where we can't pay the living wage. We won't, we won't do it. Okay. Well, listen, this has been great, Mike, uh, great insights, a lot of forward thinking there that that you've done. And uh, the one thing I might add on here is that automation is going to become a uh, factor in the discussion and uh, in the, you know, what people do and what decisions are made going forward. But, um, you know, I think that the concepts that you put forward so nicely and clearly uh, the were very stimulating. Uh, it's, we've really just touched the beginning of the iceberg. There's a lot more to discuss here. Uh, we'll do a third time, Mike. How's that sound? Love it, Bruce. I always love talking to you, so no, no problems at all. Happy to do it. Okay, good. Good. So thank you so much. And uh, Alan, we'll hand things back to you. Thanks again to Mike Dershowitz and Bruce Belfieri for your great discussion on today's show. Be sure to join us next month for another great show and look at our huge selection of archive shows and topics at benchmarkportal.com. Then click on Call Talk, where you'll find over 10 seasons of this show. From all of us here at Benchmark Portal, keep those headsets steady and your fingers ready. This is Alan Pockhotter signing out. Have a great day. <laughs>